book of Ruth, chapter 4. And we've been making our way through uh, this really great love story. If you'd like, if you're a sucker for a good love story, <laughs> book of Ruth should be right up your alley. What's amazing to me is that since we've been doing this, um, every time I read about David, now I think about Ruth. Like they're always, they're tied together. I really enjoy that. So Ruth chapter four, and again, really simply today, the title is Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Let's look in verse nine just to get started, and then we'll make our way through this passage, okay? Ruth chapter four, verse nine, and Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. And so Boaz is finally going to make his way through. Now, if you guys remember, just a little bit overview. I want to kind of keep everybody on the same page. Where's Ruth from? Moab. She is a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. And you know how sometimes foreigners are treated. And so Orpah, Ruth, they are the wives of Naomi, whose name means pleasant. Uh, and Naomi's husband's Elimelech. But because of a famine, they go to Moab. And so her sons are Malon and Kilion that we read about there in verse 9. And while Naomi is in Moab, she loses her husband. She loses both of her sons. So is Naomi acquainted with suffering, right? She knows suffering. So she decides to go back to her homeland. And when she makes that decision, Orpah and Ruth say, oh, we'll go with you. And then Ruth, uh, Naomi says to them both, basically, I think it'd be better if you just stay in your homeland. Orpah says, I'll stay. And Ruth says, there's no way I'm leaving you. And her commitment is amazing, right? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. So Ruth makes this huge commitment. And she doesn't even know what she's headed back to, right? A foreign land, probably some in pretty deep poverty, maybe uh alienation from other people. It's just not a good uh, thing for most people to think about leaving their homeland to go back. But Ruth makes that decision. At the end of chapter one, we hear this phrase that the barley harvest is about to come. And that is a picture that good things are about to come that way. Ruth ends up out in the fields gleaning, and she ends up in a guy by the name of Boaz. It's his field. And the next thing you know, Boaz is asking about this uh, young lady. I always imagine she's beautiful. I don't know if she was or not, but in my head, it's high picture. <laughs> and so he's finding out about Ruth. And Ruth has this incredible reputation already among the community because of the sacrifice that she has made. And so Boaz says, you stay with these women, you glean in these fields so that everything will be safe, right? But what I always admire about Ruth is she doesn't just sit back, she does the work. So if you remember chapter two, we talked about in our own lives, are we doing the work? We can't just sit back and say, Lord, you take care of everything. We have to ask the Lord to lead us and to follow his steps and to do the work. Well, then last week, we find out all about the character of Ruth in the community. They know that she's a woman of noble character. And then we find out the character of Boaz, right? He could have been the one. He could have said, I'm taking Ruth. I love her. I want this to be mine. But instead, he followed the pattern of the custom and the culture and today we're going to see how he steps out in the city council, and there he's going to make a, a, a plea to another redeemer that is closer than he was, and we'll see what happens there. Again, their character stood out last week. 
Today, most of all, if nothing else, what I want you to see is a picture of Jesus in this passage. All right, so you look, and I'll look, and we'll look together. Where do you see the attributes of Jesus, even in the book of Ruth? I'm going to start with a little illustration as we think about genealogies. Do any of you have any interesting genealogies? Um, I think one of my aunts one time did some pen genealogy, and it appears that we have uh, quite a few pens that were taken to Australia because of their uh, criminal behavior. <laughs> so that may be some of my history, right? If you trace down the line, all right, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, Princess Diana, you remember her? Winston Churchill, so this is for Wendy, she loves her British people, right? And George Bush are actually distant relatives whose ancestry can be traced back to a 15th century English squire, say genealogists. Researchers for the US-based company, myfamily.com, found the trio's roots can be traced to Henry Spencer of Northamptonshire. Badby lived between 1420 and 1478 and was married to an Isabella Lincoln. According to Gary Roberts, a genealogist at the New England Historic Society in Boston, Bush is descended from British royalty going back as far as the 12th century, King Henry I, the son of William the Conqueror. Kind of interesting that way down the line, there's these things that match, okay? Well, today we're going to be looking at a little bit about how the Lord handles things way down the line. And again, we need to think about the choices that we make, because who knows what the Lord may do with that. We're going to look at probably the most famous genealogy of all time, if you will. Let's go to verse 1, uh, chapter 4. And let's look through the book of Ruth, and we'll finish it up here today. The scripture says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer, or kinsman redeemer he had mentioned, came along. And Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over, and he sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. You remember last week, we had this kind of, not necessarily scandalous, but maybe a little bit uh, strange situation to us, at least, right? That Boaz is out on the threshing floor, and he's protecting his grain. And while he's supposed to be protecting, he falls asleep, and then he wakes up, and there's a lady at his feet, <laughs> right? And she's uncovered the edge of his garment there, the blanket, and basically says, spread your garment over me, which is a cultural way of saying, I want you to fulfill your duty to redeem my family, and so Boaz, he's, while he's taken aback, his heart kicks in and he's like, I will do it. But there's one catch. There's a redeemer who is closer than I am. There's someone who is ahead of me that has a right to redeem you in this situation. And we need to do the right thing. But if he does not redeem you, I will redeem you. So in, I believe within 24 hours or less, we find Boaz has made his way to the town uh, gate. Now, what do you think the town gate is today? For me, I would say it may be Walmart, 
right? Where does everything take place? Like people that are doing Craigslist deals and Facebook deals, they're, they do it in the parking lot of Walmart, right? Because it's a public space and they're hoping to be a little bit safer there. People will even leave their campers there overnight, right? Uh, there's this area where people kind of gather and hang around. Now, this case of the city gate would also be kind of a place where the elders would be. So it's kind of partially like a, a city council, but also a public square all at the same time. So there's going to be a lot of people around, and there's going to be an opportunity for witnesses in this place. Now, Boaz finds this other redeemer, and he calls him out. And what I think is really interesting is, what's the name of the other redeemer? Oh, you don't know? I don't know either. Why is that? I think his name is left out on purpose because he is not the one who steps up. And so just think about, we know Boaz, we know Ruth, we know Naomi. I mean, here we are probably maybe three to 4,000 years later talking about these names of these people. But he's not in the book by name, is he? Right? Interesting, again, about the choices that we make. So Boaz gathers the people together, and the scripture says he gathers 10 of the elders together. And then again, your preacher's way of thinking, it's almost like a courtroom type setting, although it's outdoors in a market area, but there's this idea of people that are going to witness a, a, a proclamation. And so here, he shares this news with this uh, redeemer, Boaz does, and says, hey, Naomi has come back. She's selling her property. You actually have a right to redeem it. Would you like to redeem the property? And again, I'm not an expert by any means in Israelite culture, but I think what's going through the man's mind is, hmm, here's an opportunity. I can have a good reputation. I can increase my name. I can be the rescuer, and I'm going to get a little more property to work, maybe increase my wealth, my standing. Yes, that sounds good. I think I, think I can do that. So in my mind, there's a lot of pluses, and we're going to find out his response. Look down in verse 5. So the Bible says in verse 5, And Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. In verse 6, At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger, or King James says, ruin my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Verse 7, Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Boaz didn't give him the whole story right up front, did he, right? Oh, yeah. I'll redeem that. That'll be great. Yes, let's do it. I'll do the property. Oh, by the way, Boaz says, one more little thing. Naomi has a daughter-in-law. Her name's Ruth. And if you want to redeem the property, you also are going to need to marry Ruth. Now, how do you think that would settle it back at home? Are you following me? Right? Uh, he has to go home and tell his wife, oh, by the way, I'm going to marry this young woman over here and try to help her have a, uh, carry on the name of her family. And if he had other sons or other daughters, how do you think that would settle with them? Right? Division of attention and... You know, these, and this man is just thinking, no, <laughs> I cannot do this. This is ruin for me. Boaz, 
I'm out. If you want the deal, you can have it. I want you to think with me just a little bit. And again, what we always have to do is seek the Lord's will. And maybe it was the Lord's will that this man not uh, take on this opportunity to be a redeemer. But in my mind, I'm also kind of wondering, what if he had stepped up? We would probably know his name instead of Boaz, right? So I would challenge you always to follow the Lord, but also not to hesitate when the Lord asks you to step out in faith. Step out in faith. What incredible things may happen because of your faith. So he gives the right to purchase to Boaz, and to make it official, he does something we think is a little strange probably as well, right? Any of you, whenever you make a transaction, do you take off your shoe and then you give it to the person and say, the deal's final? Maybe if we did that, I don't think this would be better. Are they going to throw the shoe at you if, you if you redig on the deal? I don't know how that works, right? Okay. So this is kind of an interesting custom. And I want to pull this up just briefly. If you have your Bibles and you want to, you can go to Deuteronomy 25, or you can follow along on the screen. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Verse 6. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders of the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Verse 8, then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go to him in the presence of the elders. What's she going to do? Take off one of his sandals and spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. This man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. What a strange custom to us, right? But again, you can see the significance here. Now, Ruth is not spitting on the man here in this story because it doesn't seem that there's any uh, honor being taken away in the way that this situation takes about. But we do see the man finalizing the deal and so that Boaz will now be able to be the redeemer. So let's go back to verse nine in chapter four. Then Boaz announced to the elders and the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi and all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Verse 11, and the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in where? Bethlehem, right? Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young widow. May your family like, be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Okay, let's follow this through just a little bit. So what's Boaz do? He publicly declares his commitment to his wife. Do we do anything like that today? Uh, yeah, we call that marriage, right? A marriage ceremony. 
Even yesterday, I'm talking to John and Jeannie, and even there, we're reminded in sickness and in health, right? Jeannie was kind of looking at John. Don't remember that, <laughs> right? You made this commitment. You made this promise. It bound you together. And here we have Boaz declaring in front of the witnesses that he is going to follow through, that he will redeem uh, Naomi's family and Ruth, the widow, as his wife. And again, I think it's interesting. He still names her as Ruth the Moabite. Right? It's like my whole life, would I be called Travis the Decaturite? You know, that's where I was born. Like, could I ever get rid of that name? Oh, he's from Decatur. Oh, boy. Right? And here, even still, that identification marker is always going to follow Ruth, and yet it doesn't hold her back from doing great things for God. Amen? So whatever stigma you may have attached to your name, don't let that hold you back either, because Ruth is able to do amazing things. Ruth put God first and risked never having children, but look what God did to the one who honored him by committing herself to her mother-in-law. She obeyed the Lord, and the Lord does the most incredible thing. He puts her in the lineage of the Messiah. Wow, right? So in the setting, the elders are pleased, and they begin to bless Boaz and to bless Ruth and even to bless Naomi. And the first blessing is that they'd be like Rachel and Leah. And who are Rachel and Leah? They are the moms of Israel, right? So Naphtali and Dan and Asher and Gilead and Judah, uh, Benjamin, Manasseh, Ephraim, all those 12 boys and Joseph too. Where do they come from, right? Rachel and Leah. What the elders are saying when they say, uh, Boaz, we want your family to be like the Rachel and Leah. We want to be that way. They're saying, we want you to be blessed greatly, have many kids, and have a great lineage. They had no clue that the blessing they were proclaiming would ultimately result in the Messiah. But that is going to come to pass. They're asking them to be famous in Bethlehem. And now this has been so good for me because every time I think about David or I think about Christmas or I think about Jesus, I'm thinking about Ruth. Why did Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem? Because of Boaz. That's why, because that's where their family was from, because it happens here. Because of Boaz and Ruth, and a couple thousand years later, um, Jesus is going to be born in that town there, or going back there to Bethlehem. And then they say one more thing, and I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I want you to think about it just for a little bit. The elders and the people are saying, may your family be like Perez, the son of of Judah, who was also in the lineage of Jesus. Do you know the story of Judah and Tamar? It's a little bit interesting, and it has some similarities. So Judah has a son, and that son marries Tamar, but they don't have any kids, and he dies, and so she is a widow. So according to the scriptures, what's supposed to happen, right? So Judah's next son uh, mar marries, if you will, Tamar, but because of his selfishness, he doesn't want to redeem Tamar. So they don't have any relations, and they don't have any kids. And then Judah has a really young son. And so just to kind of appease Tamar, he says, she's, he says to her, well, when he's old enough to be a man, that I will give him to you so that your name can be carried on. But if you read the story, when that youngest son grows up, Judah does not give him 
to Tamar. And so Tamar does a really, in our culture, probably strange and uh, almost weird type of thing, but she dresses up as a prostitute and traps her father-in-law. And what happens is for the transaction, she asks for his staff and I think his beads. And then later on, when he goes back home, a few months later, word gets around that Tamar is having a baby, but she doesn't have a husband. Judah says she should be burned. And she says, well, he may want to see these items I have before he follows through on that. <laughs> the rod shows up and the, the other items show up. And then Judah's like, oh, she's much more righteous than I am because I didn't follow through on my word. And then out of Tamar, and Judah will have the son Perez. And if you'll look in the Bible, guess who, where lineage, what lineage Perez is in? Boaz's lineage, Obed, Edom, Jesse, David, Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? When these people are, are saying, may your line be like the line of Perez, I don't think they had a clue what the outcome of that would be. We're praying for our little kids to grow up and honor God and to make good choices. But we may not have a clue what the outcome could be for those things, right? The great things they may do for the Lord. So we've got to seek the Holy Spirit and pray in his will that God will do amazing things. And those things will come to pass. So verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son and the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better you than seven sons has given him birth. So Boaz and Ruth are married. They have a child. The women that are there, they praise the Lord. And who do they really celebrate with? Ruth? Naomi, right? The one who was Mara, the one who was bitter, the one who had been in such a destitute place. The women say, the Lord has blessed you. The Lord has given you redemption. He has provided for the name of Elimelech, for the name of Malon, for the name of Kilion. Those names will live on in Israel and they live on to today because of Ruth's faithfulness to her mother-in-law and because Naomi clung to her God in the midst of the greatest suffering that anyone could experience. Hello? We go through some pretty suffering things, don't we? Some of you are going through some difficult times right now. Naomi, even in that suffering, she clung to her Lord. Ruth could see that faith, and that caused Ruth's faith to grow so that Ruth's obedience and her willingness to work out her faith ended up in this incredible story. Even when you're in a dark, dark place, cling hold to the Lord and ask him to cling hold to you because you don't know what's going to come out of that in the end. The Lord will deliver. Ultimately, he will deliver. And that's the message here today. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, right? Isn't that awesome? Not Ruth. Naomi has a son. Naomi has redemption. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of who? 
Perez. See how it's all coming together, <laughs> right? They're proclaiming these things, and I don't think that they knew what all was going to become of them. This is the family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And that's how the book of Ruth ends, right? From Judah to Perez to Boaz to David. Hmm. What an incredible story. What I want to share with you this morning, why don't you look through here? We know that Ruth is going to be in the line of the king, King David, right? But Ruth is also in the line of the king of kings, Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is our kinsman, redeemer. And that's what I want you to really think about with me this morning. I brought up some points from this uh, enduring word. I like to read from them quite a bit. And I want you to look with me this morning and examine these truths. And I think they're very valid. And I want you to see how Jesus is even present in the book of Ruth. First off, the kinsman redeemer, or as the NIV has here, the guardian redeemer had to be a family member. And think about this for a second. Jesus added humanity to his deity so he could be our kinsman and save us. A kinsman redeemer has to be a kinsman. And Jesus became one of us, didn't he, right? That gave him that right to redeem. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. And Jesus redeemed us from slavery to sin and death. Amen? Yes, the same picture. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited, and Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind sold over to Satan. This world is broken, and it's in control of the evil one for now. But there is coming a day when the Lord steps out of heaven, when he's on his white horse, when he comes not as a baby, but as a warrior king, and he reconciles this place, and he makes it exactly what he always meant for it to be. He will redeem this earth. And there's a picture of that in the kinsman redeemer. Boaz's kinsman redeemer to Ruth was not motivated by his self-interest, but motivated by love. Jesus was motivated for redeeming us because of his great love for us. Boaz's kinsman redeemer to Ruth had to have a plan to redeem Ruth unto himself. And some might have thought his plan to be a little foolish, right? You're going to actually go and talk to the other guy ahead of you? Jesus had a plan to redeem us, and some think that the plan was foolish, right? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to some. Yet his plan, what did it do? It works, and it is glorious. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer, took her as his bride. The people Jesus has redeemed are collectively called what? His bride. And then finally, Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, provided a glorious destiny for Ruth. And Jesus, as our Redeemer, provides a glorious destiny for us. Today, if you're a Christian, how can you not see Jesus in the book of Ruth, right? And here's the gospel message today. You guys, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks this week. We want to keep the doors of this place open for as long as we can so that somebody walking in here can know this same story. But more importantly, you need to keep the doors of your life open because some people will not walk through these doors, but they'll walk into your world and they need to know this story. 
that they're in slavery to sin, they're enslaved to death, and that while they're in facing great suffering, there's a kinsman redeemer who came to earth, became one of them, but who was completely holy and righteous. So not only was he one of us, but he had the ability to redeem because he was perfect, holy. He died and rose again that we could have freedom and a glorious future. That's what we've got to share with the people that the Lord brings in our path. All right, almost to the end here, Matthew chapter one. I just couldn't get away without reading this. You guys know Matthew one, right? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was who? Her name is in the genealogy, Tamar, right? Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. Minadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Does that sound familiar? Think about that, right? Look who's in the genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, and now Boaz, the father of Abed, excuse me, of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Her name is in the genealogy of Christ, this Moabitess. Rahab, the prostitute. Tamar, the harlot. God takes the worst of people that we think are the worst, and he does the greatest things with them. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Give yourself to the Lord. Let him do something amazing, right? Look who's in the genealogy. That is so awesome to me that their name's forever enshrined here in Matthew chapter 1. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the, the father of King David. If you read through there, you obviously you get to Joseph and to Mary and to Jesus. Amen? Whew. Don't let the devil beat you down and tell you you're useless and you're worthless. God loves to take the useless and the worthless and to write their names in the hall of faith. Trust him today. Trust him today. Last illustration this morning, Greg Kuki. It's difficult for many people to accept that there can only be one way to rescue us from sin and judgment. But one Christian apologist uses the following analogies to show how the cross of Christ is the one and only solution we need. The gospel is inclusive in that it is offered to everyone, but it is exclusive because it only goes through Jesus. Here's what he says. Most ailments need particular antidotes. Increasing the air pressure in your tires will not fix a carburetor. Amen? Aspirin will not dissolve a tumor. Cutting up your credit cards will not wipe out the debt that is already owed. If your water pipes are leaking, you call a plumber, not an oncologist. But a plumber, excuse me, a plumber will not cure cancer. An adequate solution must solve the problem that needs to be solved. And singular problems need singular solutions. Some antidotes are one-of-a-kind cures for one-of-a-kind ailments, and sometimes only one medicine will do the job, and as much as we might like it to be otherwise. And so he lays this out. Mankind faces a singular problem. People are broken, and the world is broken because our friendship with God has been broken, ruined by our human rebellion. Humans, you and I, are guilty 
enslaved, lost, dead. All of us, everyone, everywhere. The guilt must be punished. The debt must be paid. The slave must be purchased. Promising better conduct in the future will not mend the crimes of the past. No, a rescuer must ransom the slaves. A kindred brother must pay the family debt. A substitute must shoulder the guilt. There is no other way of escape. And his name is Jesus. And he has made the way of escape for us today and the people that we love. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. If you'd stand this morning. We're going to have some time here of reflection and commitment. You guys, if you want to come to the altar, you know you can come at any time. You don't have to wait to the end of the message.